Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. The podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of Australia's pharmacists. Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue. Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. This is Ali Sue. In today's episode, I'll be chatting with pharmacist Michael Minter, 2020 Pharmacist of the Year for Terawatt Chenmart. Michael has been a paramedic for over 14 years and works as a pharmacist as well. In this episode, Michael has given us a lot of insights from his perspective. In addition, Michael has a special interest in providing specialized care to marginalized communities, including the LGBTIQA community. As pharmacists working in the community, it is important to get to know our clients from different walks of life and make pharmacy a safe place for everyone. In addition to talking to Michael, I have also invited Paige to this conversation. Paige is a compassionate author and intentional storytelling consultant. Her unique skill sets draws from formal education in film, television, and theater acting, business, corporate training, and communications. Paige has previously served as board member for Open Doors Youth Service, a non-profit organization dedicated to supporting LGBTIQA plus youth. She also dedicated years to assisting LGBTIQA plus professionals through roles as Queensland State Director and Director of State Development with Out for Australia. I personally have learned so much from both Michael and Paige about LGBTIQA plus community. As pharmacists and healthcare professionals, we need to educate ourselves so we can do better to create a safe place for everyone in the community. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Michael. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We know that you've been paramedic for over 14 years. Do you have some examples that, as a paramedic, you wish pharmacists would know or share with patients? Uh, a lot of patients get prescribed insulin. Uh, a lot of doctors may erroneously think that the pharmacist will have the time every time to go through with um, how to administer, how to check, how to um, store, how to do all those things every single time with every single patient. And, you know, my hope is that pharmacists do that. Um, and, you know, that's what I strive to do. But I also recognise that there are some pharmacies out there that don't do that. Um, and the downside to that is we end up with patients trying to administer medications without the appropriate advice, and then they end up in emergency departments. Um, I think uh, education 
if pharmacists can impart the knowledge that we've got in our brains to our patients, mm. that will help people stay out of the emergency department. The other cool thing, I suppose, as a, as a story that you might like in terms of stories, um, in 2015, after the earthquake in Nepal, um, I went over to Nepal as a pharmacist um, and a paramedic. Uh, we worked as a small team with an organisation called Trek Medic. Um, they're based in Melbourne. We basically hiked in and out of remote communities uh, that were affected by the earthquake uh, and giving medical care to those people. As a pharmacist, it was useful because uh, I was able to look at the medications that were available in Nepal and help uh, with the purchase of that medication. And we had to kind of think about what types of diseases we may be finding when we go to those communities. Um, and so the knowledge of the pharmacist was really useful, but also the, the practical knowledge of an AMBO as well was quite beneficial because we were in a, a pre-hospital environment, essentially. Pharmacists are in a very good position to keep patients out of hospital if we do our job correctly. And majority of us do do our job correctly. Being mindful about what our job is, is I think a really important thing. Can you give us some tips on how you train your staff? Can you share with us? In terms of early in your career, I think I'll never forget one of my um, preceptors said to me very early when I was an intern, um, if you make an effort to learn one drug every day throughout your intern well, um, you'll find when you get to the end of your intern, you don't actually need to learn very much because you've really spent your time learning, you know, those top 200 drugs really well. Once you start working, I think about practicing is if you feel like something isn't right, trust yourself, you know, have a conversation with a doctor. Don't just think just, just because the doctor has written something Make sure that you're not just assuming that it's correct because it's written that way. You know, we all have heard that story of the methotrexate that went through PDL um, last year or the year before of the early career pharmacist that knew it was wrong, uh, rang the doctor, the doctor pushed for it anyway, mm. and they, they, the, the pharmacist didn't back themselves. And, you know, unfortunately that patient was given that wrong dose and didn't end up very favourably. So I think um, early in your career, I think, one of the best lessons is if it doesn't feel right, trust that. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that puts a lot of early career pharmacists at ease that we, we don't have that expectation of knowing on the spot. We are learning. It is a process that we, we allow ourselves to have a bit of time to do research and to able to know how to communicate that through to the patient. And I suppose the... Um the immediate story that comes to mind for me is uh, the reason why I got interested in trans and gender diverse healthcare is because of me freaking out over a patient in a script. So a doctor had written a, um, so this was in a small community pharmacy in um, rural New South Wales. Uh, the doctor had written a estrogen based um, medication for the human that I that was standing in front of me that appeared to me a cisgendered man, um, but I conf you know I confidently went out to the front of the store saying I needed to call the doctor that the doctor had put the wrong person's name on the script, um, and if I wouldn't have had such a 
lovely human being in front of me to explain to me that no, the doctor had done the right thing. Um, uh, you know, it would have been quite easy to allow my, you know, lack of knowledge in that area to, and, and I essentially did think that the doctor had done the wrong thing, but mm. he hadn't. Uh, after conversation with the patient, this pa this patient was beginning their medical transition to a female, and I didn't know that. I, I didn't know anything about that. Um, so I suppose you know it carries on to so many different areas of of medical care that just take time, you know, think about it before you start jumping down the avenue. Mm, mm. Someone's made a mistake. Thank you, Michael, for sharing that. Now, I am honored to invite Paige, aka PK Wilcox, to join this conversation. Paige has written in her book detailing her life before and after her gender transition. I had a chat with Paige and asked her to share with us her interactions with healthcare professionals. Hey, Paige, could you please share with us what was it like growing up? Okay, well, so with my specific situation, I was raised as a boy, but inwardly, I had a very strong identity of being a girl. And that was very difficult for me because I saw the people around me and thought, hey, if I tell them how I feel, there are gonna be negative consequences. There are so many different messages I picked up here and there that caused me to, to feel that way and what I did was I decided to just build this rich inner world inside my head and live as live how I was and be authentic in my mind and then present something else to society which fit fit with the the social norms that I was being uh, told what was your experience like with healthcare professionals? I have had many varied experiences with health professionals. I remember very clearly still when I was 19, the first time I went to get my first estrogen pills. So they're pills that I needed to start taking a long time before I was able to transition. So at that time, I had a male name, I looked male, and I was asking for medication that most people associate with women who want to be sexually active without getting pregnant or want to skip their period. So I remember I was very scared making that uh, having that first in interaction. But the person I remember just giving me like this weird look, like, who are you? What are you? This is weird. And I carried that with me for a long time, that, that very negative interaction, because I felt like it, it just affirmed that I wasn't quite right, that it, that I was different and beyond that, that different was bad. Mm -hmm. I'm still different. I know that I'm different, 
but it's not a bad thing. I'm just a part of the vast diversity that exists within the human experience. Other than that, I have had experiences with medical professionals who were a bit shocked or otherwise weirded out when when I confided in them about my gender history. But it hasn't been too many. There have also been a lot of amazing medical professionals. In terms of going and getting medication, going to the pharmacy, it's so much easier now because I just look and sound like any other woman might who's going to get the pill. So that removes that, that awkward interaction there. And also a lot of people have been really trying hard to better educate the medical community. And I've been on quite a few Q&A panels with medical students and also been in these events called a human library where you get to sit down and chat to someone for a while who has a different lived experience. So a medical student group put, put that event on. And so I had, I think, eight to 10 very different conversations with medical students where I was able to give them some insight and fill in their knowledge gaps um, as a patient and, you know, what, what I felt um, patients like me could benefit from. So with so many things like that happening in all, all over the world, it's really helping, helping people like me have less negative interactions with medical professionals. And for the last little while, I've definitely had far more positive experiences. I have patient, uh, compassionate, understanding medical professionals who take the time to, to get to know me, don't treat me like I'm an outsider or an inconvenience and stuff like that. So more recently, it's been a much more positive experience. But I do sometimes still feel scared of being in a situation where I have to tell a doctor at the last minute because doctors are people too. And some of them don't think that someone like me should exist, which is unfortunate but true. And they can look like anybody. <laughs> You know, that there's no stereotype, like there are stereotypes out there, but in terms of people who dislike um, the queer community or transgender people or don't believe it, they don't fit into a box either. It's not one person of a particular age or gender or cultural background. It is people that exist all throughout society. So I, when, when I'm going into that interaction, I've always got in the back of my head that this person that I'm dealing with could be like that. So 
that I think is something for medical professionals to consider is it's not personal against you if you have a trans patient or something else and they're a bit hesitant. It's about all the other people in the world who have been negative towards them and they don't know if you are going to be another one. Thank you so much, Paige, for sharing with us your personal experiences. Now, Michael, could you please share with us your observations and experiences in the community pharmacy? I think um, I think it comes down to relationships. I don't think we really need to do very much. Um, the things that we do for all of our other clientele already, things like putting their preferred name on the box, that's very validating. Um, we have a system that is we're able to do that. So, you know, for instance, you've got Mrs. Smith, whose um, assigned name at birth was Margaret, but she goes by Betty. So we put Betty on the box. We've been doing all of these things for years. Is all it means is I've identified a subset of the population that has specific needs that the pharmacy is already well versed and knows how to manage. So doing things like putting the appropriate name on the box. We make sure um, we make a little history note into pronouns for the LGBTIQ plus community. Um, so also recognising that just because someone identifies as trans or gender diverse doesn't necessarily mean they need to have surgery. They don't need to be on medication. They don't need to do those things in order to make their experience any less valid. But opening up, uh, having a space that is safe for them to have that conversation, it's a very easy thing for us to do. Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, that's all we've, we've done. We've just created this super safe space um, and making sure that we've uh, got understanding of the processes that this population has to go through. And, you know, small things like, you know, there's patients that are undergoing gross financial distress because of the particular period in their transition where they're having name changes and um, surgeries and access to specialists to be able to allow those that documentation to change when i have a chat with them and i realize that they're under that financial distress it kind of opens up a space for them to acknowledge that they're financially struggling and so we do small things like create accounts and they can still have access to the medication and they just pay for it later mm. and and again, we do that for other populations that are experiencing financial hardship, but having an understanding of where they're up to. Okay, and these aren't small cost changes. You know, depending on um, what state they live in, it changes what documentation is required for those name and gender marker changes to occur and as a result each step along the way has got financial cost and not small amounts like in the thousands of dollars mm -hmm. and when you consider things like this population is already marginalized already experiencing higher rates of um, depression anxiety suicidality um, 
mental illness, homelessness, lower socioeconomic uh, environment, lower access to education. It, it, it's an area that if we can save one person, we've done a good thing. And yeah, so in a pharmacy is all we need to do is, is I think two really simple things. Ask their pronouns and don't assume anything. Ask if you don't know. Uh, and they may be pronouns within a binary context, so him or hers, or they may be non-binary. So they may go by they or them or Z or Zay or, but it's okay. But have an understanding about what all of those terms mean and recognize that throughout their journey, those pronouns may change uh, and their preferred name may change and that's okay. But it's also the pharmacy is a really beautiful space for patients to trial new names that they may like uh, because suddenly it's on their box and it gets, you know, it gets called out. But I think the second thing that pharmacists need to be aware of is we're afforded the opportunity and the privilege to be told about this person's trans or gender diverse status. So don't assume that that then means everybody else around them knows about their trans or gender diverse status. So doing things like calling at home and saying, you know, uh, Betty's medication is ready. Uh, well, that patient may not go by Betty at home. They may go by John. And so you've just put that patient in grave danger in their home environment. And so I think that's really important to be mindful of other things for that patient. And so I think they're the two key things that I think that pharmacists and pharmacies need to really be mindful about. Yes, definitely, Michael. We're not just a number or a name. Behind that, we are human. We have families. We are part of the society. So there's, so there's a story that I have that breaks my, it, it breaks my heart. There was a trans man, so someone that was assigned female at birth, who um, uh, went to the pharmacy and asked for the morning after pill, and they denied it because the very first thing they said was, oh, you need her to come in, and then that was it, then they walked away. Then the patient went to a GP uh, and because this patient was a six foot six or six foot two, um, big bushy beard, big broad solid guy, the GP didn't believe that he was transgender and so refused to give him access. So the way that him and his partner chose then to manage unwanted pregnancies and, you know, I spoke to him and he said they used condoms and they tried to be safe. Uh, but sometimes accidents happen in the same way that, you know, for cisgendered humans, it, it happens. Uh, so the way that they chose to manage it was for his partner to beat him until he bled every time he found he was pregnant. And that's in Australia. And that shouldn't happen. So we need to do better. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, that to me, it, it shouldn't happen. Like, and, and, you know, this is one guy that I just have happened to talk to in the last kind of two or three years. So I can only imagine the horrific stories that, that happen. And, and it's not, and, and it's not the population's responsibility. It's not the trans and gender diverse popu population's responsibility to teach us. We're health professionals with a bucket load of education and a bucket load of, you know, ability to read and learn for ourselves. And there's a, 
a whole heap of resources out there like TransHub, uh, through ACON, um, you know, through Community Health Pathways, through the LGBTIHealth.org website. There's so many resources available for us. Um, we need to learn about it. Mm. We, can't, we can't just blame, you know, I've never, I didn't learn about it at uni or mm. I don't walk in that, in that circle so I don't understand mm. or, um, you know, Pride and, Pride and Diversity Australia, they've got a lot of really good training resources. It costs you 50 bucks to do a six-hour workshop. It's, it's very valuable, um, you know, just to do things surrounding language first of all. But, for the, you know, if you're in New South Wales, the community health pathways uh, through Hunter New England Health, uh, that's got one of the best pharmacological guidelines that I've seen so far um, for Australian standards. But if you're in Victoria, you've got the gender clinic. Um, I'm not really sure about other states, but that's a, it's, there's a lot of resources out there. I remember I had a patient in the ambulance about, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, um, and he discharged himself against medical advice from the hospital because he was in there to have a colposcopy, which is a procedure pertaining to a cervix, and the nurses kept asking him why he was in there getting that done. That didn't make sense. And, you know, this guy's just there to get health care. He's not there to educate you. And so... He was like 24 years old and I encountered him in the pharmacy, in the um, ambulance because he tried to kill himself that day. Um, and, and to me, that's those, that's the hospital's fault for not providing care and basically pushing that person to educate their staff, which it's not the patient's responsibility. We need to educate ourselves. We need to do better. We need to, to make sure that we're armed with information and we can't, just blame, oh, but I don't know. Mm. If you don't know about diabetes, you go and learn something. You know, we all got into this job to help people. We all got into this job to, to optimise pharmacological care. And I think it's important to recognise patients don't need to teach us. We need to learn ourselves. Wow. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing those stories. So what's the best way to approach clients in the community pharmacy? Across the board, everybody get a kind of a, a gender neutral type uh, reference until we can kind of allude otherwise. So, you know, we, you know, so, so say someone's getting cold and flu tablets is a good example, uh, but they're getting it for their partner. Um, so, uh, so I go into the pharmacy, someone comes into the pharmacy and says, uh, I want to get cold and flu tablets for my partner. I can't assume that their partner is male or female until they give me a, a, a context. So until they say she or he, um, I will just continue to say they. Are they pregnant? Are they breastfeeding? Are they allergic to anything? Are they on any other medications? But if person in the store says, um, you know, she's pregnant or she's not allergic to anything, then suddenly for the rest of the conversation, I'll refer to that person's partner as she. And the exact same thing in the pharmacy as the person standing in front of me. I won't uh, use he or him uh, or sir or miss or um, until I'm kind of given the appropriate pronoun to refer to that person as. And so mm -hmm. that's, 
And so the, the really beautiful thing is um, the people within the LGBTIQ plus community uh, are very aware that our pharmacy is a safe space. And so often we'll have people come in and specifically ask to speak to one of the pharmacists and say things like, you know, I've been told I can let you know about my pronouns. And so then patients will tell us really early on if we don't know if they, uh, in, especially if it's a non-binary individual, um, they'll let, let us know that they prefer by, go, to go by non-binary pronouns. And we'll just make a little history note in the computer. And in terms of training for staff, it, it's very simple. We just tell them not to assume anything. Mm. And it is okay to ask if you don't know. Because, mm. you know, in the same way that if you or I were asked, we just answer the question. Uh, if someone asked us what our pronouns were, it wouldn't affect it wouldn't affect it wouldn't affect us any more than you know any other question that we get asked by the pharmacist. But for people within the community, it it has such a deep seated sense of affirmation mm. that it, it's like the alert that it's a safe space for. Mm. And you know, doing things like putting your pronouns on your name badge is a really good thing. Because mm. it shows that you're a safe space. Wow, yeah. Words we use are so important. When we're so busy and have a lot on our plate, we often forget to be present and focus on each conversation and each person individually. Yeah, this is definitely a great reminder to be mindful and pay attention to words and tonality we use. Those words and details can really help people to feel safe in the pharmacy. Yeah. And, and language is a very valuable tool that people often forget. And you know, in, the, in the same way we say things like attitude reflects leadership. If the attitude of the staff is kind of very dismissive of populations, maybe you should think maybe that can reflect who's leading that ship, who's, who's leading that pharmacy. Is that pharmacist very apathetic and not really caring about the patients? But if the pharmacist is, it's, it's a deep, seated desire to care about the patients then the staff will then care about the patients and you know people forget attitude reflects leadership yeah thank you so much for sharing this with us especially for our students and early career pharmacists this conversation has really put things into perspective our students and early career pharmacists are going to be the future leaders in the pharmacy industry so what final words of wisdom would you like to leave for them um, I think remembering that pharmacy, I think, is at a tipping point of recognising that we are such a valuable part of the multidisciplinary healthcare team. Um, and I think staying true to the reason why we joined the job, which is about patient care, is really important. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.